Six goals in eight appearances before today. Adam Rooney with a chance to win the cup for Aberdeen. Welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Again, football right now still isn't terribly important. But for those missing their weekly fix, we've assembled a lineup of the brightest and the best to look back at a memorable dawn season. Now, the campaign under the spotlight tonight is going to be season 2013 14, a year when finally Aberdeen got its pride, respect, and well, its mojo back in the first full season under Derek McInnes. Now joining me to spend some time wallowing in nostalgia tonight is longtime podcast associate Martin Clunas. Good evening, Martin. How are you? I'm doing all right, Richard. How are you? I'm okay. Is it nice to speak to other people? It is. It's really good. Um, yeah, no, the missus isn't talking at me. We've been locked to get locked no, down for like a week, so um, it's nice to hear a different voice. Yes, something of a challenge. I think anybody uh, cohabiting will, will certainly agree with. Then we tonight we've also got the welcome return of another long-time podcast associate, very much the silent partner these days. But it's great to have Grant Fiskin back with us. Uh, Grant, you're based out in Warsaw, so what's life been like in Poland over the past couple of weeks? Uh, pretty quiet, as you can imagine. I think uh, people are a bit sharper and being a bit more sensible before you guys over there, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be like this for the foreseeable future, just as the, the sunny weather comes out as well. Then we're very pleased to welcome Christy Keenan back to the show. Uh, evening, Christy. It feels really kind of glib to talk about it in this context, but as you now live in Milan, self-isolation has become a way of life for you for quite a while now. How are you keeping yourself occupied? Um, how are you doing, gents? Yeah, it's it's kind of pish out here, to be honest. It's been, um, I think that's five weeks now with not left the apartment. Um, keeping ourselves occupied, well, thankfully, I can work remotely, so just working like crazy. Also, we've got the balcony, which is an absolute godsend. Um, we've got a wee punch bag and a few um, kettlebells and what have you out there. So, you know, trying to stay somewhat fit and healthy and just avoiding the outside world until this whole thing kind of dies down a bit. So everyone here, like you, is going through the same thing. For those of you who are actually leaving your houses to still work, wherever that work might be, whether it be in the supermarket, the NHS, the health service, anything else like that, thank you for doing that. We are very grateful. But tonight, we'll forget all about that, forget all about the current situation, and take ourselves back in time to season 2013-14. Now, of course, Derek McInnes didn't start in the summer of 2013, did he, Martin? He took over from Craig Brown uh, with... The five post-split games remaining of the previous season, and um, you've got to feel that that was actually beneficial to do that, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely was. Uh, he was able to kind of get a, I suppose, get a feel for the club, 
get a feel for some of the players that were there. You know, there were still there was a pretty decent core of players. You know, um, he came into the club with, you know, I think we've spoken about this before. Guys like Considine, Russell Anderson. Um, obviously, McGinn and Hayes were there. Um, no, even no guys like Peter Pollock were there. No, um, we've got decent, some no talented players and some decent professionals as well. So, yeah, he came in, uh, had the decent. I sorry, was a decent found in there. I mean, I know your your kryptonite, Richard, is the people that use the Craig Brown steadied the ship um, thing as well. Um, but when I suppose when Craig Craig Brown got in there, no, it was a dilapidated boat. It wasn't much of a ship, um, but he did leave a he did leave a pretty good founding um, for Derek McInnes to come in. Came in for those last few games of that season. Um, no, and no, we got some, we got a few, a couple of some decent result, no results there. I mean, nothing really. No, just it was, it was. I think they were all the last three games were draws, or last four games were draws. I think, um, if I remember rightly. So nothing, nothing to like set the world on fire. Um, but you know, um, there was definitely positive, positive signs there. Um, and it was, of course, it was. We waited for, we waited kind of with bated breath for the summer. Um, to see who was going to be coming in and out. But you could you could see by I look back at um, McInnes's first home game in charge. Uh, it was against Kilmarnock. It was on a Saturday and the crowd was less than six and a half thousand. Now I know it's bottom six and things were pretty bad, but less than six and a half thousand kind of shows the the kind of mood around about that time. And I think Grant to go further than that, the mood around the appointment wasn't one to be fair greeted with any sort of enthusiasm at the time. It was it was seen as a very meh appointment, wasn't it? It's it's hard to know that who they could have appointed that wouldn't have got that reaction. To be fair, I mean it was I think it was the fourth bottom six finish in a row. So I think people were just kind of and the fact that the style of football wasn't great under Craig Brown at the end. I think people were just pretty fed up with the whole situation and. Probably having him in, as you said, as Martin said, before the end of the season probably did have a benefit to at least, despite that reaction, people could get used to the idea, give McInnes before the summer to start things off. And in the long term, obviously, you can say it did make a good difference. So the summer, there was that turnover of players. It wasn't quite Eddie Turnbull level with 17 going out the door, but there was quite the exodus. Um, I think of those who are coming out of contract in the summer, I think maybe only Josh McGuinness got a new deal. And going out the door were the likes of some no-hopers, such as, you know, Rory Fallon, Gary Naismith, Stephen Hughes, dear me. Um, some half-decent players on their day, but suffered with injuries like Isaac Osborne and Rob Milson. Uh, and then some players who probably would have been able to make a go of it in a, in a better team, like Gavin Ray. But uh, I suppose... When you consider the first two signings of McInnes here, they are, they're really key in setting the tone about the whole place over the next couple of uh, years, Christy. And it's uh, Willow Flood and Barry Robson both being brought in to play in that central midfield. Yeah, two of my favourite signings of the recent era. Um, McInnes said at the time when he came in, um, he, he didn't say it publicly, but it sort of came out afterwards, um, that he was just mortified at the fact that we had Gavin Ray and Stephen Hughes um, trying to <laughs> just sort of ambling around in the centre of midfield. And we played Dundee United and Willow Flood uh, absolutely ran rings around them and um, immediately put the the um, plan in motion to bring Flood in and just get some energy going uh, through the middle of the park. And Barry Robson's experience, um, we were all... If I remember correctly, we were all a wee bit like, um, 
maybe not concerned with Robson because he's got a fantastic pedigree, but kind of concerned that he was a bit past it, at least. Um, although we know, of course, he was a wonderful player. And he turned out to just be a terrific signing for us. Um, I think they were both very good in the development of Ryan Jack. I think um, they were just uh, really good in terms of the energy they brought to the club as well. Barry Robson's just incredibly popular wherever he goes. Uh, so terrific signings. And it just um, immediately got the fans on side. And the fact that it got it up Dundee United a little bit uh, was just a wee bit of um, icing on the cake. So really uh, fantastic signings. And in fact, through in McInnes's, um tenure, he's actually consistently managed to bring in some exciting signings every season. They've not all worked out, fair enough, but in, on paper they've certainly looked good. To try and solve the the issues up front that summer, um, we saw the first in what has been a, a quite a long line, Martin, of uh, big lads up top, and um, none have been bigger than Calvin Zola. Uh, they certainly haven't. Um, no, I've, I mean I've gone on record on here before. Um, no, I love Calvin Zola. Um, he just, you know, he's he's just a giant lump of a guy. Um, one of these, I suppose you would say, the big man up top. Um, what's it? All these kind of, all these kind of cliches about you know getting you know up to the big man in the mixer. All these kind of old school football quotes. Um, oh, yes, he's probably not the. I mean, I certainly think that he isn't the, the type of signing that we would have been looking for. Um, to be honest, I think we're looking for more, you know, like let's kind of try and play a bit of football. I certainly, you no. Know, when you bring in somebody like Barry Robson, you're thinking that we're going to start playing football because he's you no, know, he's I was a wonderfully cultured footballer. Uh, Calvin Zola, you know, was was a bit of a was a bit of a curious one. You know, he came from I think it was Burton Albion or one of these type of teams. Um, doesn't didn't have like a, a, a really impressive record behind him. Um, came up here, didn't you no, know, it didn't really kind of work out for him. You no, know, he had a couple of Couple of decent games, but um, I think he maybe only he, he must have only played you no, know, but what twenty five games for us or something. Um, I think his only his, his real contribution was probably that um, that that Falkirk game. Um, other, when he when he just he just he just absolutely rattled them and then went to take him off because he was going to get sent off. Um, and then after that, we absolutely we absolutely destroyed them. Um, so I think that's probably the nicest thing you could say about Calvin. I actually found a little funny funny clip from. Uh... Uh, I was looking back at that game because I was thinking the exact same thing. That's what I mainly remember. Like, he was the key man of the game because of that. And it said, having booked in six minutes after clattering into goalkeeper McGovern in gruesomely reckless fashion, Zola continued to bound around with no thought for his or anyone else's personal safety before <laughs> McInnes had to take him <laughs> off before half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Christy, the phrase battering ram striker is probably quite appropriate here. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a, it was a weird one with Calvin Zola because he kept Scott Vernon out the team and Scott Vernon was a bit of a fan's favourite. He was one of the only few who escaped the Craig Brown era with a bit of goodwill in the bank. So we had, we had this guy who was already kind of 1-0 down before he signed, like when we brought him in. And the fact that he was keeping our, our favourite striker out the team... And the fact that, like, Calvin Zola was one of these guys that I remember saying, like, so many times, ah, just wait till he's match fit, you know? Like, he's he, there's clearly a use for him. I can't see McInnes would have signed someone that bad. And and it just didn't happen. I mean, he was that bad. He was absolutely horrendous. Um, he was just an enormous unit. The ball bounced off him. No kind of touch. 
he was a magnet for both centre backs, I guess. So he he was a handful, that's for sure. Um, but my goodness, he was he was just a fundamentally bad footballer. Well, I'm going to take that last point, Christy, and, and run with it and try and try and build something of a case for him because he did draw attention. He did draw players in towards him. And I think that him being there early on opened up space for Peter Pollitt, who probably hasn't, didn't have that space again as an Aberdeen player after that first six, nine months. And he really exploited it, didn't he, Grant? Yeah, I mean, you could possibly draw a comparison that Curtis Main maybe is a new Calvin Zola, but. I found a video, um, a YouTube compilation called um, From Donsvids, which has all the goals from this season. It's a brilliant video, it's about 20 minutes long. And one thing, yeah, they definitely did notice was not just Zola, but Vernon as well. The amount of goals that came in the early part of the season from them holding the ball up or taking space away from the likes of Pollitt, particularly, but as well McGinn and Hayes to run on to, it definitely made a big difference. And I think, as uh, Christy mentioned about his match fitness, I don't think he ever was fit. Probably kind of worked against him. He could, could never be totally confident he was on the pitch. But I think, yeah, players maybe did allow Paulette to initially get the confidence and get the space before before defenders could work Paulette out, I think. and a, a good point for Zola. And there was times where you could see there was a player in there, but there was just as many times where the ball just ricocheted off him, bounced off him, or he was just going about not be able to control himself, let alone anything else like the Falkirk game. So, yeah, I don't think he was a horrendous player. I mean, if you look at a player like McGuinness, McGuinness was never, he worked hard, but there was never really any technique there. But at least with Zola, there was a, you could see a bit of ability there, even though he was pretty much rarely on show. Yeah, you just kind of think that if the English leagues are, are, are absolutely stuffed with players, if the lower English leagues are absolutely stuffed with players like that, then it must be. Uh, if you think it's been watching, if you think watching us over the past couple of years has been tough, then I invite you to go and watch some English League Two football. If <laughs> if that's going to be the sort of standard down there. Um, again, in the summer, Martin, there was a guy who who we signed to. If you based your opinions just on on the tabloids, you would have thought would be an absolute slam dunk, an absolute certainty to be a big hit up here but Greg Wilde is another good example of the hype that players who have played for either Rangers or Celtic get undeservedly you know, there was obviously stories at the time up here where he just he came up with a bit of an attitude thought he was basically thought he was a bit of a ticket really uh, and was better than he was um, but no and he I mean, let's be honest. If we if we say in his time here, every time he was on the pitch, he looked like he barely tried a leg. Um, we're being kind to him, and yeah, you know, he's he was at Rangers. Um, I think he maybe, I think he could have got his um, got his kind of reputation. Did he not score in an old firm game? Maybe he seemed to have come with this kind of reputation of he was he was there. Then he was at Bolton, I think it was. Um, you know, and he came up here with a really you know, really a big kind of expectation coming from him because. You know, the hype, you, you know, if you allow yourself to be taken in by the hype, then you expect this guy to come up and you expect this guy to be something. And he really, he really wasn't, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many games he played, but it can't, it can't have been more than 10. Um, you know, here's a guy who, you know, in training, he must have had an absolutely stinking attitude because to not, to not get any, op- to barely get an opportunity, um, you know, is 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 with being such a kind of high profile because he was a high profile signing supposedly, um, and did literally did literally nothing for us. Um, and it's one of these kind of things. You know, I mean, I can't remember um, where we put him in terms of his 
in terms of the kind of when we did the McInnes signings, but I can't think he was. Pr- I think he was probably in the bottom ten, wasn't he, Richard? Uh, quite probably, yes, quite probably. I, I honestly can't remember. Like like the players themselves, it, it was probably quite a forgettable podcast, Martin. Um, anyway, opening day of the season after the usual slew of um, low quality, low impact preseason friendlies was Kilmarnock at home. The new signings, Flood, Robson, and Zola, all started, and it. There's an optimistic feel about Pataudry, as there always is at the start of a new season, no matter how rank or indifferent we've been uh, the previous year. Um, there was a decent buzz about the place, Grant. Yeah, I def- definitely remember being that pr- a pretty good performance, if memory serves correctly. I think, from what I can remember, they were on them from the start. It was a very positive attacking attitude. Um, Zola calling, causing problems for the first goal. And then a ah, fantastic header by Willow Flood for the second and I think although Boyd got one back, we were we should have won that game by more than two one. And I mean, it's so important the first day of the season. It's it can really shape the whole season, the mood, and to get that win. But it wasn't just the win; it was after the Craig Brown, at the end of the Craig Brown, and the dire football and the lack of goals. The amount of chances we created that game, even though we scored twice, there definitely was positive signs right from that first game. And uh, one thing that was really noticeable as a takeaway, Christy, was that despite the fact that Niall McGinn had scored 21 goals the season before, playing in the middle, and towards the end of the season, obviously, playing in the middle under McInnes as well, he was he was asking Niall to, to take a position wide. He was, he was clear right from the start that Hayes and McGinn were there to provide the service, provide the wide outlets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we all loved having McGinn through the centre because he just banged them in he went through that unbelievable goal scoring run the season before under Craig Brown um, but McInnes took one look at him and said like think of all the assists that this guy will get you put him out wide and all credit again to McInnes because he brought that one back Niall has been much more effective for us out wide than he ever could have been um, through the middle or he ever realistically would have been through the middle uh, it was it was terrific that said of course um, as you mentioned earlier, he did bring in Greg Wise. So he did, like, he did think, um, perhaps I'll have Wilde and Hayes out wide. And so I've got the option there of playing McGinn in a, you know, as a big man, small man with, um, with Calvin Zola in a 4-4-2. Um, so immediately, you know, McInnes was, was thinking about, um, you know, accumulating options rather than just having his first 11. And sticking with it, which I like, of course. Little did we know quite how um, bad Greg Wild would turn out to be. And I think Greg Wild got shipped out in the January, if I remember rightly. Yeah, um, six months. So yeah, it didn't didn't even last. Uh, it only lasted one window. So uh, so his hand was forced a little bit. But when you've got someone of McGinn's quality as an option out wide, then you're you're kind of wasting it um, unless you're unless you absolutely need to play him through the centre. I think the other thing to remember is that in hindsight we forget this, but um, Martin, Johnny Hayes had had not a brilliant first 12 months with us. No, he didn't. And, and I think that's something that gets forgotten. It does, it gets forgotten about because of how good he went on to be for us. But no, no, I, no, I did say when we opened here that no, he, he was still, you know, there was still a foundation of decent, you know, some decent players. And no, Hayes, we looked at him and 
while he had been brilliant, it was another where you could tell you look at him, you know there's a player in there. And there was flashes the previous season that there's definitely that there's definite ability there. There's definitely something there that you know it just takes this a spark or the, the the right combination of maybe support for him or someone up front or yeah maybe maybe it was McGinn being on the other side. It's what opened up opened up the pitch and Hayes just clicked um, the pair of them the pair of them worked so well in tandem on the wings uh, and but yeah you're absolutely right to say that that, that prior season it, it, it wasn't great uh, and it was just I think it I think it, you, know, you look back and you say it would have to be that you know, the, the moving McGinn out to the wide on one wing and having the two of them there um, and it just opened up the pitch so much where we had two incredible wingers uh, no, just no, some teams just didn't know what to do with this, um, and and Hayes just exploited that almost, not pretty much all season. So if the opening day had been positive, and it, and it was positive, but it was Kilmarnock, a team who had also struggled the year before, finished in the bottom six along with us, and um, generally been bumbling along, just sort of existing for the past five six years. Motherwell, on the other hand, in game in match day two, were the sort of best of the rest back then. They had uh, finished second the year before. They were the benchmark, basically, for a non-Celtic side. And match day two, big Don support down. I remember the game was on a Sunday. I presume Motherwell had uh, Europa League football on the Thursday. And we went there, we went a goal down in the opening 10 minutes. Now, the Don's teams of the preceding couple of years, that would probably have been the sign for, for them to crumble, just that and that alone. But um, they came back a very fine 3-1 win. Was Do you think, for, for you, Grant, was that a turning point? Uh, I think it's a bit early for her to say that was a turning point as such. But obviously, to build on the opening day win with a second one, away from home, we'd only won five away games in the league the season before. And obviously going behind, I think, a really early goal, I think, we conceded. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit early to class it as a turning point, but obviously when you get off to two wins out of two, that kind of happened too often in the previous ten years or so. Um, but And then two of the goals were penalties. Okay, they all count, of course. But, but yeah, it's certainly a good start, but a bit early for a turning point, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, there was that there was that optimism about the place. As I say, about 2,000 away fans there... I, that said about winning the first two games, I remember in McGee's second season, the one that ended in the 9-0 and uh, the seven straight defeats and the chaos, we did actually win the first two games that season. And I seem to recall, Martin, a good crowd of away fans at McDermott Park to watch Darren Mackey score a late one out of Poor's top. So Grant's quite right to say that uh, just the opening doesn't mean anything for how a season's going to turn out. You know, it's second game of the season, you're just thinking, you, know, you, you look at that run of games, when you looked at the fixtures coming out, you obviously have to look at it and say, right, okay, Kilmarnock or Kilmarnock, but then your second and third games are against the the, the top two teams from in the, in the country. Uh, so to go down there um, and you know, to score to score three goals, yeah, two of them are pens. I mean, I'm, I'm positive with them. I, I think we, I think we kind of we gave them a bit. Of, if I remember rightly, and I might no, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we gave them a bit of a doing anyway. Did we not hit the hit the post on the crossbar as well? Um, I think we really, I think we really did. It was a really like kind of. And a standout, but a standout performance. So it kind of, you no, know, maybe not a, maybe not a turning point, but I think it was definitely. It'd be fair to say it was like a statement performance. And certainly, there was an enthusiasm. There was a, a desperation to see this side succeed to the point that the Celtic game, the following week, against two sides 
presumably with a 100% record. I have to admit, I haven't gone back and checked the Celtic record for those two for those two games. But it was a sellout, Christy, and that just was something we had not been used to at Pitodri. Well, I was certainly all in on the Dons at this point. I, I, I was just so stoked after years under McGee and Brown. Um, I'm just so eager to get a bit of enthusiasm. It was just fantastic. This actually, the Celtic game, I'm, I'm 99% sure it was actually McInnes' first defeat. Um, even, you know, even given the half dozen games that he was in charge of the previous season too. So, um, so the good form, the good run of form actually extended back, um, to the, to the extent of McInnes' reign at that point. Um, the, the Motherwell game, just to go back to that for one second, I seem to recall, um, the, there was someone in the crowd with a flood warning road sign. Um, and there's a, a, a magnificent photo did the rounds. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I just, uh, just had a vague recollection of that and listening to the game in a bar in Steeple Airport and nearly missing my flight back. It was amazing. Um, we lost to Celtic 2-0. Um, I, I honestly don't recall too much of the game apart from we gave a decent account of ourselves and it wasn't until the last minute or two that they scored the second and wrapped it up and we were very much in with a fight until then. Uh, I thought, you know, even, even, um, the first defeat at home to Selwick under, under McInnes was not enough to dampen my enthusiasm at all. I was just so stoked on the dawns at the, at that stage. Uh, about the only thing I remember of that Celtic game, uh, Grant, in fairness, is uh, Jamie Langfield getting himself sent off just on half time and um, allowing Celtic the chance to get the opener. They might have won anyway, but that was pretty much a game changer, wasn't it? Uh, it was a game changer for that game, and I think it was possibly a game changer for the next game as well. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Nicky Weaver's appearance. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I could really remember from that game as well. Yeah, it, it set off a, a little bit of a slump, and, and you're quite right to mention Nicky Weaver. and. Obviously, it was Tynecastle next up. Normally, a very difficult venue for Aberdeen to go to. But we should have been approaching this one with a lot of belief, even after the Celtic defeat, because this was a Hearts team, obviously, on their arses. All their big money stars out. They're in administration. They've been deducted points. Um, I guess there was that... Um, Sort of belief inside Tynecastle that early that they might be able to claw it back. Um, so you had that to face, granted. But in terms of the personnel we were up against, we absolutely should have been doing better than going down 2-1 at Tynecastle. And again, I'm just remembering snippets from these games, Martin. It might not be something you remember. We did, we, we got a penalty kick that day. A penalty kick, which now McGinn put away. But there was a, I remember there was a challenge on Paulet, which for some reason wasn't given as a penalty kick, which was one of the most obvious penalties ever. I don't know if you can remember that. Um, That'll be a no. <laughs> was, was this the one when, um, was he got booked for diving? Is that the same one? He did get, he did get booked for diving, yeah. Is that the one, yeah. Um I, I do remember it then. I um, it was a penalty. Um, I'm, I know that I know Peter Paul has got a reputation. I know he's got previous for going down a bit easy. But um, if it's the one, I, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's the one I remember. Then it was absolutely a penalty. I, I don't think we can ever complain about Paul at not getting penalties. I think um, <laughs> I think that balance is pretty even over time. I think. Possibly, possibly. But having got back into the game at one-one up against ten men, it was Nicky Weaver's uh, mistake that. Uh, let Hearts get the winner um, coming nowhere near a, a deep free kick uh, and allowing 
Jordan McGee to use his head rather than his hands this time in a Hearts versus Aberdeen game and uh, and score the winner. So um, so many of us slump after such positivity in the first couple of games. So many of us slump, and there was a huge banana skin awaiting the midweek after that Hearts game. Cups were going to be big for Aberdeen, of course they were. League Cup tie, Aloha at home. Now, Aloha that season had been going very well in the third tier under Paul Hartley. Well, they had a former Don in goals and Scott Bain. This was a game which we should really have been taken care of, but didn't. And it, uh, I think for the 5,000 or so people inside the ground that evening, Christy, when it went to extra time and then it went to penalty kicks, I bet very few of us, having seen what we'd witnessed at Petaudry and these sort of games over the past decade, I bet very few of us thought we were going to escape that night. Oh my goodness, yeah. I really thought we were done for. I mean, the, the script was set. We had so many of those, particularly under Calderwood, and um, I just didn't think we'd have the bottle for it. But thankfully, I was proven wrong. And, um, you know, but for like the the um, turn of events in the penalty shootout, you know, our recent history could have been very, very different. If we'd gone out there, um, it would have put McInnes under pressure straight away, as opposed to um, winning the penalty shootout and going on to win the trophy. So, sorry, spoiler alert, but it was um, it was pretty amazing how it all played out. Our mindset in the years up to that point, um, Martin, just seemed to have been conditioned to... I certainly was in the ground that, that night and, and just assumed this was it, we were gone. Thank God we finally, you know, we got by, by one because, you know, this was one of these kind of, you know, not quite, maybe not necessarily a sliding doors moment. But if you go out here, then obviously, you know, we don't go on to, we don't go on to Park Red um, later on in the tournament. Um, and, you know, this could be the thing where Aberdeen end up being, you know, like a, a Hibs level kind of cut bottlers where we know we've not won anything in even longer now and um, it could have been years and years and it really was but when it, when it was when it was penalties and the first one um the first one was was a way to be taken you're just you're just thinking okay we're we're done for here you know that we know what happens we know the script uh, we, we chuck it away here uh, despite it being a new regime you know whether it not, not, not necessarily Calderwood not necessarily McGee not necessarily Craig Brown you just this is what we do you know um, and I, I didn't have any faith that we would get through it so yeah I mean delighted we did you know I was overjoyed um, to especially to be there you know like within among the 5,000 that kind of that got along that night but um, god it was god it was nervous yeah, that, that video I was mentioning earlier that had the goals from the penalty shootout and Given how like mentally fragile we'd been in cup games like that before, the quality of the penalties is absolutely superb. I couldn't believe it when I was watching it, but even better than the cup final itself. As you said, all of us would have been thinking, here we go again, new manager, same old mentally weak, fragile players. Any early season optimism would have just been straight out the window. I think that what that game and the sort of run around then probably highlighted, Grant, was that we were still a work in progress. We were going to struggle against any team that came up and were defensively sound and able just to, to see us out and not allow us the opportunity to hit them on the counter-attack, which we very much were in that first Derek McInnes season. Yeah, I mean, as, I mean, if you look at the results, the few results coming straight after that, a couple of draws against St Johnston and St Mirren, and, uh, a very good win at Park Thistle, probably Calvin Zola's best game in an Aberdeen shirt, and then a tight win against Cali. And yeah, it it it, it, seemed, it did seem very much a work in progress. 
Vernon was getting in, Zola, Zola was getting in, he was still switching about. And I don't think he quite hit on the the Paul at McGinn Hayes had quite clicked at this point, but there was definitely signs in part of the games and signs of because one thing you definitely noticed watching the goals this season is teams did if you watch Aberdeen now and the way teams defend against Aberdeen, it was completely different back then. There was not anywhere near enough as much respect given 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 the fact we've been in the bottom six for four seasons. But yeah, it was definitely a work in progress, but it was enough to, to give you optimism from the wins against Thistle and uh, Cali. Let's stick with the League Cup, uh, as the the story of the season is obviously pretty much dominated by the League Cup, and we have that tie with Aloha, that huge scare with Aloha, and we're the second, the draw for the uh, well third round it would be pairs us with a very tricky looking tie away at Falkirk. Falkirk at that point in the Championship and going well. And um, the BBC decided to cover it live. And the BBC decided to cover it live not because they're desperate to show free-flowing Aberdeen, but because they think this is going to be a shock and that Aberdeen are going to get knocked out that night. Derek McInnes, um, whether by design or whether by accident, selected a, a slightly rejigged side this evening. There were places for some of the young team, some of the guys like Cammy Smith, some of the guys like Nicky Lowe, who would make significant contributions as the season wore on. And um, other than the aforementioned Calvin Zola incidents, it was the young team that really shone that night, Christy. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I was living in Glasgow at the time and I had a ticket for the game, but I seem to recall the weather was so god-awful um, that I, I just didn't fancy braving it, going out to um, Falkirk. So I watched it on the telly and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was absolutely gutted to miss it. Most of the, the Red Stars team, the, the Dons um, supporters club based in Glasgow like um, that I was playing for at the time, most of those guys went along. I was I was gutted to miss it in the end. We were absolutely terrific. Cammy Smith was uh, was superb. Scott Vernon got a hat-trick. We were just, um, yeah, we were something else. That Again, it was, it was just great to see that every time, um, every time we were being tested, every time like the script seemed to be written, we were just coming through um, those challenges. It uh, really felt like this was a completely different Aberdeen, um, and it, and it was actually, it truly was. We were so good, and Falkirk, um, you know, let's not get carried away. They're a division below. The conditions weren't good, etc. But um, the way that we blew them away made everyone sit up and take notice, I think. I think this was the favorite, my favourite game I was at that season with the obvious caveat I wasn't at the Tynecastle semi-final or the Celt- at Parkhead. But, I th- yeah, I think I think this game kind of got the shackles off the, the lower division hoodoo because it's all very well beating one of these championship teams, but to beat them 5-0, and just that emphatically, that just made such a difference. And when I found that um, thing about Sola, I found this thing about Cammy Smith that Christy mentioned as well. Uh, on the BBC, it said, uh, Cammy Smith made it two for Derek McInnes' side with a technically perfect finish, reaffirming Craig Brown's comparison of the 18-year-old with Dutch legend Dennis Bergkamp. I don't quite remember that being said by Craig Brown, but that's quite a, quite, quite a claim. Craig Brown wasn't a stranger to a wee bit of hyperbole. <laughs> um, he definitely did say it. It was... It was a strange one. Um, but Cammy, I mean, yeah, no one ever doubted his technical ability. I think it was just his um, lightweightness 
that that worked again. I was him. wondering. I thought it was thinking of the pace, the lack of pace that let him down. I wonder if the Cammy Smith of 2013-14 was in our squad just now. I think he would have made a much bigger impact. I think him and Lewis Ferguson in midfield, that kind of partnership he, would have worked really well. I just think the lack of pace in that team that had obviously a quicker McGinn, Pollitt and Hayes, I, I don't think he just quite had that extra yard in him. He was definitely very unlucky to to um, break through at a time when the standard was incredibly high. Like The barrier to entry for getting into that 11 um, was probably the highest that it's um, been, maybe with the exception of the Kenny McLean, Ryan Jackery and Shinny era. Uh, but it, it was, you know, if, if he'd arrived on the scene a couple of years before under Craig Brown, he certainly would have been a standout. Or a couple of years later when we're going through a, a stodgy um, decline, uh, then, yeah, he would have definitely had more chances. He, his timing was off, that's all. Well, that win, welcome as it was, it, it didn't quite give the bounce to to league displays that you might have hoped. There's a, there's a draw at St Mirren, there's a defeat at Ross County, which seemed to be what always happened when we went out to Ross County back then. Um, a very pleasing win against Dundee United in middle of October, Calvin Zola getting the only goal. But then there's there's about 10 days, just over a week, which really seems to spark things. And it's kicked off, Martin, with a, with a good victory at Easter Road with two very, very good late goals giving us the win. Easter Road is, is one of these places where, you know, with some, well, historically, we've sometimes had a bit of a tough time. You know, recently, it's... It's no, it's it's been, it's been decent for us recently. Then we've you know we kind of we slip up, but this one was one where, you know, I think we we did. I don't we I don't think we had like a really a strong performance that game. Um, but no, Hibs Hibs were a bit of a Hibs were a bit of a shambles at that time as well. I think Pat Fenlon was still manager. Um, they were really kind of a bit all a bit all over the place. Um, but yeah, you go and then you no, know, we kind of I think we kind of struggled our way through the game, and then you find. You find a, a two late goals, Vernon and you know, the the much maligned Greg Wild, um, with like a, it was like a ninety third, ninety fourth minute goal, um, and it's a was it really did that kind of kicked off a, a, a pretty good a pretty good run of form as well for us because you know, I think we'd we'd needed to go on on a decent run you know we'd had you know a win and then a win and a, maybe like a poor a poor poor defeat or a, you know, like as I mentioned the draw at St Mirren which is you no. Know, you know, Paisley. You know, Paisley can be can be a weird place as well. But yeah, you, know, you beat Dundee United, and then going to, going to Hibs and getting that win, and you know, again, now you now you feel that I think that you no, know, this was that we're starting to turn the corner. We're starting to put results together. Um, you know, advancing into the cup, as you've mentioned, by 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 blowing away um, a lower a lesser a lower league team um, in ways that we hadn't done before. It was really was right. This is this is the time we're going to kick on now. We're going to do something. I think what I've neglected to say in the wake of talking about the Falkirk game um, was that that victory came the night after Celtic had gone out of the cup, losing at home to Morton. This completely opened the field up um, because, well, I, I, shall we just have a laugh and remind ourselves what happened to the uh, the other large team from Glasgow that uh, that year? They got put out by Forfar Athletic in the first round before we even entered the tournament. Um, but it completely, Celtic going out completely opens the field up for everybody else. So everybody remaining in that competition when it came to the quarterfinals and the quarterfinal draw 
must have been really believing that they had a chance of winning this trophy. So that last eight were, uh, I mean, it was a it was a solid set of teams. Morton are probably the the lowest ranked of all of them, but uh, seven other Premier League teams, and we probably got the worst possible draw. In that quarter final, when we're thinking, right, there's a real chance here, but we 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 land Motherwell away. Now, we, of course, we've already gone to Motherwell when we've won that season, so you go there with a bit of optimism, Christy. But early on, you go down to ten men, and again, this cup run looks in severe jeopardy. Yeah, it was um, actually. I, I was in the crowd that day. It was one of my all-time favourite uh, Dawn's games. Because again, you know, when the when the questions were asked, we we pulled it out. It was fantastic. But yeah, we were we were down. We were down to ten men. We were up against that. I seem to recall John Sutton having a a good goal disallowed, or or maybe a strong penalty shout, or something like that. I, I seem to recall us getting incredibly lucky, dodging bullets earlier in the game. Um, remind me, I can't remember. It was Joe Shug who got sent off, and Clive Robertson who went off injured, or was it the other way around? I can't remember. Um, but they they both got um, they were both off the park within about twenty minutes of kick off, and um, and we were just up against that. And then somehow from out of nowhere, the, the weirdest thing that I seem to recall about the game was I I almost forgot that we could win it. We were so like I was so focused on just um, us riding our luck, and then suddenly. We, we came out the other side with about 15 minutes to go. It was like, actually, you know, we're in with a shout here. We could we could win this in 90 because um, going to extra time would be a nightmare with having played with 10 for so long. And there, there was just a weird energy shift. Like, actually, you know, we're, we're not out of sight yet. We, we've got a chance. Um, and then Big Andy and then the, the bounce for the Johnny Hayes winner was unreal. And I think that weird shift happened just before we won a corner. And um, you just kind of felt in the ground that night. And Martin, I don't know if you were there, but you just kind of felt that this is it. It's going to happen here. And there was a huge support down that night. And it just showed how much we wanted this. I think there was like 2,500 Aberdeen fans down for Wednesday night in Motherwell. And it happened. Deep ball at the back post and Andy Constantine gets the goal. Bedlam, bedlam in the away end. No, it, it can't be very often when you're in a game like that where you're you're down to ten men so early, um, and but then you, you you come in. And I think, and we but we weren't. I don't think we were. You know, some drink was taken, so my memory may not be be, be as strong as as I'm thinking it was. But we weren't. I don't, I don't think we really looked like completely out of the game. You know, we were we were in there, but you know, we did have to kind of like like when you always go down to ten men, you have to kind of you know. Be under pressure, and kind of just hold on at times. But you know, we weren't we weren't you know, looking really you know like we're going to take a hide in here or. But you just have to kind of you know just not concede. But then yeah, that goal comes. Um, you no, know, what ten minutes, ten minutes before the end, I think it was the eighth, whatever. Um, and it was just absolute bedlam. You know, I mean, it's what the I suppose it's what the kids now call scenes, uh, because it was it just went. It just went absolutely crazy because I think that goal goes in, and even before the second, what set the second goal, you know, just that one where you go one 0 up, you know, you've rode your luck a little bit throughout the game without being completely out of it, and just that the belief that gave 
I think for the rest of the season as well Particularly in the Cup um, The belief that must have gave the players No one find that no They can go to somewhere Where Motherwell Who you know, were, 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 were no one of the teams To beat that season um, you, know, you can go go there Go to Fir Park and, and beat them It was a really big It was really big And it was just you know, That away section that night was, was crazy It was so good but the only the only negative thing of that, I think I think that sending off was the beginning of the end for Shaughnessy. There was there'd been a little spell of games where I don't know. I just got the impression that he'd he'd got a bit he'd gone a bit to his head too much. He'd stopped doing the simple things well. He'd he'd sort of got complacent, started just doing a bit too much, and I think McInnes didn't really trust him after that. Obviously. Um, Hector played a few games at right back and he obviously brought Logan in in the end but the thing I remember about that game is there was horrendous traffic outside the ground and we didn't get in until about 10 minutes in and my my arse hadn't barely touched the seat when Shaughnessy got sent off and we were just like oh you've got to be kidding me but but yeah it all came good in the end yeah it's weird there's not that many sort of youngsters who have left the Dons and went on to have Good careers, but two of them from that season who really kind of played bit parts in that season and then did manage to develop elsewhere were Joe Shaughnessy and um, Robertson as well. Uh, and I suppose we should probably also mention Lawrence Shankland, who was brought in in that pre-season as well. He's done okay since, although he's still at some lower league club, and I don't know if he or he might not even get promoted, which would be absolutely hilarious. That night, you're absolutely right. Joe Shaughnessy's p- probably the moment trust, I think, is very important to Derek McInnes, and that was probably the moment where he lost it. I think there's a, a mention here needed for Russell Anderson. Now, Craig Brown had brought Russell Anderson back, and I don't think any of us were sure what to expect when he came back in. Not sure about what physical state he'd be in, not sure whether he'd still be up to the rigours of the league, but that season as a whole and that night in particular, just what a magnificent swan song really, I think in a lot of ways, um, to get back to anything like the standards that he'd shown in 2006-07 before he'd left was, was incredible, but Russell was able to do that, Christy. Yeah, he was just phenomenal that night. Um, actually, the second goal, the the Johnny Hayes goal, which um, which was just fantastic, that all started with a Russell um, inter, uh, we call it an interception, but some kind of Russell intervention on the edge of the penalty area where he blocked a shot or whatever, um, fed it out wide, and then we, we countered. And that really summed him up. He was just incredible. He's, he's one of these guys that um, everyone who understands football, you know, he's, he's played at a lot of decent clubs under a lot of good managers, uh, and they all seem to rate him. Uh, the only people that, that don't seem to give him the, the credit he deserves are like the, the mainstream Scottish media pundits who, because he never wore blue or green and white, never quite got that recognition. Uh, but what a phenomenal player and what a phenomenal season he had. And just like the the knock-on effect he had on Mark Reynolds in particular, like he brought Reynolds' game up to, you know, new heights, heights that we could have never imagined um, for for you know a decent but not outstanding centre back, the two of them uh, together with Michael Hector as well, and then Shea, uh, just brilliant. I just loved our team that season. Absolutely loved that team. And to round off a, a fabulous weekend, a bit the Monday night game against Partick, live on the TV, so the nation could see us scoring some frankly sensational goals, Martin. 
Oh yeah, the Michael Hector one in particular. I was, I was sitting right, like kind of behind that. What an absolute screamer! Even the fourth goal when Hector went marauding down the right and crossed it in for McGinn. And it's quite a testament to McInnes and the Logan signing is there was real like disappointment and real kind of despair when Hector ended up getting recalled in January, and because we didn't think we'd be able to get any kind of replacement for him, he'd become a real fans' favourite. For, for, for performances like that one, but yeah, obviously when he did replace him with Logan, it all turned out fine. But yeah, that was that was a fantastic game. The Hector goal, the third goal, keeper didn't even move an inch. Of course, um, this being Aberdeen, it couldn't just be a story of soaring brilliance from that point onwards. But there was a real buzz about the ground before Hearts came visiting the next week again. Surely this time, Hearts again on the bones of the arse. We're going to do them this time. Um, no, Martin. Three-one <laughs> defeat at home, having got a goal up and missed a penalty kick. Um, a, a slapstick afternoon, straight from one of the last few seasons. Uh, Barry Robson get, got himself sent off as well. Um, so we're one, we're one nil up and uh, one nil up and cruising. Um, so yeah, like you said, slapstick, slapstick doesn't doesn't begin to cover it. One nil up and cruising. Um, Barry Robson gets himself sent off just after half time, um, and then you know. It just it just fell apart that day. Um, you know, and they end up beating us. They end up beating us three one. And yeah, a heart side that um, were bottom of the league at that point as well. You know, they were they were falling to pieces. Um, obviously, they'd had um, I think they'd had the the um, points deduction applied um, by that point, and so they were they were just a shambles. Um, and it's still wicked. There was still nothing we could we could do. Just um, as soon as that red card happened, it was just it was like a button had been a button had been pressed, um, and you know, the Aberdeen of old were back <laughs> in not a good way. Um, and we find ourselves just it was just so calamitous. Um, the three goals were just were such poor goals to be losing, um, and it's just so frustrating to see that happen. Following week, Christy Parkhead. Um... We're competing again. You know, we are, the, the days of the four or five now are gone. We lose 3 1, but it's two injury time goals for Celtic to win the game. There's encouragement there, even if, again, obviously it's another defeat. Yeah, absolutely. Similar, in fact, to the, the first defeat against Celtic. I think sometimes, like, I, I think McInnes got absolutely um, slated by Don's fans for saying this, but, like, there are ways to lose. Like, you're, you're going to lose sometimes. Um, but at least lose with character, and and we showed it. Um, every every defeat we'd had up to that point, including the Hearts three one at home, um, we 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 there was like a lot about our performance um, to enjoy, and it didn't uh, burst the bubble. Like the fans stayed on side. Uh, you could sense the togetherness between um, manager, team, and fans. So. Like obviously, I hate to lose uh, against Celtic, uh, particularly at Parkhead, given that I was living in Glasgow at the time and sharing an office with a, an absolute rabble of Celtic fans. You know, there, there wasn't much that could be said apart from we gave a great account of ourselves. Uh, we got beat. It all happens sometimes. De- December was a month which was so unlike 
what we had been used to seeing in the past God knows how long, but became so typical for the next few years of Derek McInnes' Aberdeen teams. A number of routine wins, games that you probably couldn't recall these days, one throwaway bad performance at home to Motherwell, where again that whole scenario of not being able to break down a team that sat in against us came back to haunt us. It, within six months, this team had been turned around. Yeah, I think it was round about this time that the Pollock, McGinn, Hayes, the whole kind of three of them started really clicking together, particularly in that game against uh, St Johnston. You do say some of them you can't really remember, but I do remember that game in particular for the glorious Rory Fallon red card, coming on as a substitute, going up for a header, elbowing Hector, and then running straight back off the pitch. That was probably one of the his most, well, apart from the volley against Sids, one of the biggest contributions to an Aberdeen match. I think the team started to maybe have a bit of fear of us. Fear is maybe too strong of a word at this point, but maybe wariness that we'd completely lost in the season before. And we do have to give mention to that game against Cali because that was just absolutely crazy, the 4-3 game. One thing I would mention about that game is when we were 4-0 up at half-time, all the goals were up at the other end. And I remember at half-time Jamie Langfield turning around to the fans and doing this little celebration, this little dance celebration. And I think that's what sets Langfield out from a difference between a guy like Joe Lewis. Langfield never really had the right mentality to be a keeper at that level. He'd have his good games, he'd have his Dnipro games, he'd have his League Cup final, but he, he, he could just never keep on an even keel like Lewis did. And to be honest, we should have drawn that game 4-4. Shinny scored late on, and then I think it was Shinny again at a header right in the last minute. I think it just went over or just wide. But as I said, maybe it shows a bit of strength that we didn't completely fold and and not win that game, but yeah, that I mean that game against Motherwell, you, were, you mentioned the one nil. That's that's the kind of game that's kind of been all through McInnes's time. Is the, these games come up now and again, quite often against Motherwell, it should be said. Um, but I mean, given that run that we had, it was about seven wins out of eight. You couldn't really complain, as yeah, as I said earlier, it was started. Things were starting to really click with the attacking attacking play at that point. January transfer window, Christy, you've already mentioned that. We lose Michael Hector, but we bring in Shea Logan to replace him. Obviously, none of us up here really have had much of a clue who Shea Logan was or how he was going to get on, but he proved revelatory, really, in the in that first initial loan spell. Another key signing that January window, and again, a man who was going to define how Aberdeen would play for the next couple of years, was Adam Rooney. A pretty successful window. Absolutely. We signed two absolute mainstays. For future years, and we got rid of Greg Wilde. You can't ask for a better window than that. Not, not, not even a mention for Alan Tate. So and not I mean. even the mention for Alan Tate. I was saving that up for the because uh, he's a man who's got a League Cup winners medal, and you don't, Grant. That should always be remembered. Um, uh, I'll survive with that. <laughs> There's still time. The day after the window slid shut, Shilogan made his debut. Martin, would you like to take up the story of Saturday, the first of February? In Edinburgh, it wasn't on television, so the only way of the only way of experiencing it was getting down there and getting a ticket. The pubs we were in before the game, there were so many people down there that didn't have tickets, were looking for tickets because, like like we mentioned earlier on, I think people really there was a there was a belief there. The remaining four teams in the in, in the tournament, you know, really believed they had a really big chance of getting something there. 
um, and there was there was a feeling you know on the the train down um, in the pubs when you're talking to people you know that we've got we've got a huge opportunity here. St Johnston, you know, are one of these teams where how many? You know, we've spoken about it so many times over the you know hundreds of podcasts we've done. But one of these teams where it is usually it's very tricky. It's very difficult to play against them, and we get inside that we get inside that stadium, and you know, but it just seemed to be that it was such a pro Aberdeen crowd. You know, yes, St Johnston did have the one stand behind one of the goals, but what's I mean, what's it? Tynecastle holds seventeen thousand, eighteen thousand, whatever it is, um, that were there at the game, um, and it just seemed to be that it was just Aberdeen fans everywhere that day, uh, and the noise that was coming, the support that was coming from the team was just phenomenal and then you immediately find yourself within three minutes of the game starting um johnny hayes gives us gives us a goal and knocks it in from really from really close range and from then on there we were we were in no danger at all in that game it was like it was a like a really a 90 minute long it was a party atmosphere um because we we absolutely blew st johnson away that day Eventually, you no know, Derek McInnes will move on from Aberdeen, um, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. And you know, this this is one of the games where we'll say, you no, know, we absolutely destroyed a team, um, but it was a, it was an excellent performance from start to finish. We we, we brushed them aside um, in a in a in a, a League Cup um, semi final, and you know, it was one of the best performances I've seen from an Aberdeen team in, in living memory. I'm going to take a slight issue with that because I think St Johnson had. Quite a lot of the game, and probably actually had more of the game than they had in the other semi later in the year. But four 0 certainly flattered us. But other than quibbles like that, Christy, it, it was just a pretty magical day to be an Aberdeen fan in Edinburgh. Oh, it was it was really incredible. Um, I actually just just um, springs to mind. Langfield had an unbelievable save. At, I think one nil up, maybe at two 0 but I'm pretty sure it was at one nil where he tipped a shot onto the post uh, that was. Absolutely superb, and um, and it, it you know as like for good reason it gets kind of glossed over, um, because you know we're we're so psyched on on how we performed that day. But if that goes in, um, it's a very different game. But Pollock's goal, the second one, just phenomenal. That like that just defines what Pollock could bring to the team. Just that late run, um, skipping past people, rounding the keeper. Uh, squeezing it in, well, kind of under the keeper actually, just brilliant. Um, that game, I, I recall um, Mikey from the the Red Stars team like crowd surfing down like about half a dozen rows when the when Adam Rooney's goal went in. I think the was it the fourth or the third. Just um, just brilliant. Like that whole season, uh, there are just so so many phenomenal um, memories of it. I absolutely loved it, and that four 0 game was probably the greatest of them all. Actually, even more so than the final, um, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in a little bit. Nah, we're not going to bother talking about the final. Uh, only <laughs> um, just just a further point on that game, Grant. Um, I know you've already said you weren't there that day, but the the third goal, the Adam Rooney goal, the certainty of knowing now that you had a striker, you had a centre forward, who when he went clean to like that. He was going to score. Oh yeah! When you watch that goal again, just the composure—he just—he knows exactly where he's putting it. Absolutely no doubt. So calm, tucks it away, and such a, a theme of all his goals that just in that position, position he's ice cool. And yeah, I should say, what a difference that made him. Yeah, fantastic goal. 
So life as a Dons fan couldn't possibly get any better than that day in Edinburgh on the 1st of February. Well, what about seven days later when we're in the Scottish Cup this time at Parkhead? And, you know, it's fair to say, despite the fact we had competed well with Celtic in the games to date, no one really gave us much of a chance. Celtic were sleepwalking to the title and um, obviously head and shoulders above everybody else in the league and had a Champions League last 16 game to look forward to in the springtime. But despite going a goal down early on, the Dons came back to win 2-1 at uh, Parkhead, setting the scene, obviously, for another memorable afternoon at that same stadium later in the year. But again, Christy, just in a season of highs, this was, uh, this was a, a statement performance yet again. Absolutely, and Russell scoring uh, just before half-time uh, was just wonderful because, again, when we're 1-0 down early, and how many times have we seen us crumble in that kind of situation against Celtic? And when Russell equalised, I really felt... I was in a bar, um, in, a, in a very, very Celtic-heavy bar, me and one red friend of mine, um, trying to keep absolutely silent. And when the winner went in in particular... Um, that was that was extremely difficult, but we managed and we got out of there alive. But it was th- that game, absolutely terrific. Um, Robson threw to Paula for the winner, just brilliant. I seem to recall it being Lee Griffiths' debut for Celtic as well, or maybe not his debut, but his his first home game or something like that. Um, and there was just like I don't know. I just remember feeling when Griffiths came off the bench, like if this is the best that they've got. To throw at us, we're going to hold on here. Like he didn't, he didn't look like much of a threat at all. Um, I seem to recall Langfield having one routine save. Like it was just so comfortable. That was what I loved about it. It just felt so comfortable. I think that's a really important point, Martin, because often you know when we've won at those grounds in the past, we've maybe squeaked it. We maybe haven't probably deserved it, but we absolutely deserved it that day. There, there could be no question. That second half. We maybe maybe didn't score again, but you know we were the team that looked likeliest to score. Paul, when Paula gets a second, you know just just after half time, you no know, five minutes into the second half, you you expect you know you, we know fine it happens. We expect them to kind of just lay siege to the Aberdeen goal. Uh, you you think your your keeper is going to have to have one of those days where nothing gets past them, and it just it, you know it didn't seem to come. Yeah, obviously they you know they had they had a couple of you no know, chances here and there, but. No, we were the ones who were who were pushing. We know we were the ones trying to get forward and create more. Where rather than just like sitting with you no know, ten men behind the ball, you know, and then leaving leaving somebody up front to kind of chase these random punts and clearances, and we were we were excellent yet again. And we did we we, we really did. You no, know, we thoroughly deserved. It's like it's very. You know, there's times you can go down there and their fans can say, "Oh, Aberdeen came down and they stole that from us." Well, on, on this that particular day, there was no question about it. They, they, that. That is an accusation that cannot be levelled at us. We went down there and we did. We 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 played we played them off the park and we absolutely deserved to go through. So, like with the League Cup, that's the Scottish Cup opening up for us. And well, we're dreaming. We're absolutely dreaming of something that doesn't come along terribly often which is a cup double. League games afterwards, there's a sense, just a sense that maybe the uh, the effort required in the cup is beginning to impact us in the league. But that said, Celtic come calling um, at the end of February and it's a long-awaited league win over them, Grant, at 
Pitodri with Johnny Hayes unveiling the first of what would be many fantastic strikes against them. Oh yeah, there's lots of things to enjoy about that game. If you mentioned Van Dyke getting sent off for the challenge and Paula, there's Hayes' goal, uh, of course, smashed Forster's clean sheet record that they were continuously banging on about. And well, what a goal that was. I think I was sitting in the Dick Donald stand that night and uh, just, no keeper was getting to that. And then another goal for Rooney. This, but it's just it's as if he was scoring in every single game at this point. And they just, yeah, they just, the atmosphere about the whole place was just fantastic. As you said, I think there were times around about that time where it almost seemed as if the league didn't really matter. It was just all about the cup. But obviously when Celtic come calling, the big game, bigger crowd, that made the difference. And yeah, of course, the the Johnny Hayes goals, it's it's still sad watching him play for Celtic and like playing at left back and that one again. And just when you see what absolute carnage he was causing for us around about that time. But although it's inevitably led to Parkhead on the 16th of March, the conversation around town was uh, not are you going, but how are you going? Where are you sitting? Did you get tickets? First thought was that, oh, there might be 25,000 at the game. We might take 20,000. Cali might take five. Then we start selling 25,000. Then it's 30,000. Then it's 35,000. Then we sell 40,000 tickets in the general admission section. All the hospitality in the Aberdeen end is taken up by Aberdeen fans. There's about 42,500, 43,000 Aberdeen fans in the ground. There should have been more. The demand was incredibly, the demand was there for more. But uh, because of the way the segregation had been set up, we weren't allowed to take the seating above the Cali fans at the end of the stadium they were sat in. Surely, with all the hype and the expectation, something was going to come amiss. We were going to fluff it on the big occasion. We were going to bottle it, weren't we? Well, Martin, we didn't quite bottle it, but by God, it was a nervous occasion. Um Nervous, yeah. Um, nervous probably doesn't quite <laughs> doesn't quite cover it. Um, you know, just uh, you know, what a what an absolute stinker of a game that first that that hundred and twenty minutes was. Um, Johnny Hayes going off injured after five minutes. You know, and you're looking. You no, know, spoken about John you know, Hayes and McGinn. You're looking at those guys to be creating chances uh, to be to be really. To be really kind of like your outlet and your creativity in that in that game, he goes off early, um, and the game just the game just never really got going. I, I did it. It just it was it was a ho- horrific afternoon. You know, bare, not, not really many chances. Um, a few bits, a few bits here and there, but there was nothing really to get. It was scrappy. Um, you know, it was a you no know, not the not the greatest uh, football and you no know, display. You no know, lots of misplaced passes, um, and it's the game never never really got going. And you know, I mean, I defy anybody who you know. I mean, the like probably like most of us. I you know I went and bought the DVD. I don't know why I bought the DVD of the game because. Um, I defy anybody who's watched 120 minutes again because um, you're a better man than I. I mean, if it's easy to forget that in the build-up to the, the 24 hours before the game, the, all the talk was about, is Paul at fit, is Paul at not fit? And obviously the huge blow when he wasn't playing. But as you said, when Hayes goes off, when you go back to the 4-3 game um, at Cali just before Christmas, that first half, on the break, we just ripped them to shreds. They just could not cope. But when you take out Pollock, you take out Hayes and replace them, I think Smith came on for Hayes, and there just wasn't the same 
pace in the midfield and that just fell right into Cali's hands. It was exactly the kind of game they they would perfectly hope for. And oh yeah, yeah, it was just I mean, as a neutral, it must have been absolutely horrendous to watch. But obviously, we've got an involvement. It's a bit better for us. Well, better for us, but more engaging for us. But God, it must have been a horrific final for the neutral. I think it's an added factor as well as the the injuries and the players missing. Christy, I seem to recall Cali Thistle had lost five 0 at home on like the Tuesday before the cup final or something like that. And whilst it was up to us to break them down, they were they were there not to lose that game, basically, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely, Cali. Um didn't seem to have any intention of um, taking the game by the scruff of the neck, but um, you know, all credit to them. We we've uh, set up to frustrate enough teams over the years, so we certainly can't criticise their approach. Um, I felt like there was a, a vibe of I don't even know how to put it. Like, oh God, it's all there for us. All we have to do is is reach out and take it, and and we so nearly didn't. I, I think we were like. I just think what got us over the line in the end was sheer kind of fear of not winning. The stage was so set for us to win, um, and and somehow we did it. It was a god-awful game. Niall missed a very good chance. Uh, Rooney should have had a penalty. They should have had a penalty. Russell hit the post with an absolute screamer of a volley uh, from 18 yards or so. And apart from that, I really can't recall anything else. Johnny Hayes going off injured, not not after five minutes, but after about seven seconds or something. It was. I seem to recall the the um, kickoff being taken, being put back to a defender, it being launched up to Hayes on the wing, and him being injured. So it's yeah, it was like it was a handful of seconds into the game, um, and so we had to play the whole game bar the last few minutes with Cami playing uh, on the flank, which wasn't ideal. And it very much, um, Cammy was a fine player, but he's no winger. So it very much impacted our setup immediately. Um, so it, it was all, I don't know, it was all there. We got there in the end. I, I didn't feel much joy, I must admit. I just felt relief. Um, I know we were, I know that um, like penalties we had practiced long and hard. Adam Rooney uh, had practiced that penalty through the uh, down the middle f- uh, after training every day for weeks. I later found out uh, it was terrific. So like the attention to detail was fantastic, but in terms of the actual game, the actual performance, the actual um, feeling after, I don't know, just just weird, just relief. It will never get close to top in the the quarterfinal or the semi final for me. Yeah, the relief is the perfect word because. The thing that kept going through my head during that game was Livingston Hibbs, Livingston Hibbs, Livingston Hibbs. The amount of amount of laughter at Hibbs after that League Cup final when they had what forty thousand at Hamden and Lovey had five thousand and losing that it would, it would just been the exact same. It would been impossible to get over that. I think if we'd lost that, also should have a little mention for probably Greg Tansey's biggest contribution to an Aberdeen game as well with his penalty <laughs> blasted over the bar. <laughs> Well, quite, quite. Um, but, uh, well, penalty kicks, fine. A lot of people still maintain their lottery, but as Christy says, those were nerveless penalty kicks from the four Aberdeen takers, Martin. And whilst we've had a dig at Jamie Langfield early on in the show, that first save sets the tone for the rest of the, sh- uh, rest of the kicks. It absolutely does, yeah. Um, you know, Billy McKay. Know, steps up, steps up, and you know he saves it straight away. You know, and you're automatically you're on the you're on the front foot. 
you know fine you've got a great chance. And yeah, the, the four guys that took our penalties, no, four excellent penalties. You no, know, uh, and you you know like we've said before, you know, we've been very critical of people that cut people. You know, especially within Scottish football, Neil Lennon particularly, who gives it the old excuse about penalties being a lottery. But no, Chris, they mentioned there. You know, the, the, they practiced penalties. They'd gone through them. They drilled themselves. People like Adam Rooney stay back and take penalties. You know, these things are these things are if you work hard on your craft, then they will then things will come good and you will benefit from them. And that's absolutely what we did. You know, Jay, and Jamie Langfield, end goal. And yeah, he's had criticism, but one one thing we have to you have to say is he gets the utmost. He should, he should get the utmost respect from Aberdeen fans because his performance in that game, the performance in that penalty shootout, uh, particularly that first save. He, he was he was excellent, um, and he de- and, you know, he deserves to be, you know, one of these guys who we will look back and look back in, in history as you no know, one of these guys who is you no, know, you know, because out with you no know, out with a, a very successful spell in the eighties. You no, know, we've not had a we've not been trophy laden, and Jamie Langfield absolutely deserves to be held up held up with some of these other guys as being a, a trophy winner for Aberdeen, um, and he was it was an excellent first save, and he really did from from that point on. Um, I was obviously you no. Know, not going to lie, I was still absolutely nervous as hell and was watching through, you know, gaps in my fingers because, you know, you never know. But we were, you know, we were, there was belief that it came through from that first penalty save. And then Tanzi misses their second one as well. And, you know, it's just about the professionalism that I have. And when you've got guys like Barry Robson, Nicky Lowe, you know, a, a guy who was, you know, a bit part player for Aberdeen, his penalty was excellent as well. But you've got guys like Robson, guys like Vernon, guys like Rooney, who are absolute professionals. Um, and you have, you know, you have 100% faith in them to put those penalties away. And uh, when you find yourself, you know, another team missing two penalties, you no, know, those ty- when you've got those type of players in your lineup taking the pens, you no, know, there's you've got every right to be confident that we're going to lift the cup. Just because of the way things are on social media these days, Grant, and partly because obviously they were so significant in terms of breaking that trophy drought. But I, I have those penalty kicks absolutely imprinted on my mind. They're all brilliant in different ways, aren't they? I, I particularly love Scott Vernon's one, just calmly. Slotted right into the corner. Yeah, it's kind of like as I mentioned earlier with the with the Aloha penalty kicks. The difference from them and the previous penalty shootouts when we'd got knocked out, you could you could just see before when I think remember Ricky Foster having one in one of the games. It just, they just looked terrified. They just like I do not want to be taking this penalty kick. Whereas in the Aloha game, the Cali game, there was a belief when the players stepped up. As Martin said, and Christy said, obviously been practicing. It's one of my most hated, hated things in football is when people say it's a lottery. It's not a lottery. There's massive amounts of skill, mental strength. I think keepers should save at least one or two penalties in a shootout. And when you have practiced that much, when you've got a plan, when you know exactly what you're doing, it's a skill. It's a perfect skill. And in the end, that's what made the difference. With the winning penalty kick, Christy, there was there was an explosion of noise in the ground and everybody did go mental at that point and there was a good 15-20 minutes in the ground with this uh, trophy being presented and um, the songs being sung. But once certainly I got out of the ground, and I think this was the same for a lot of people, everyone was just knackered, weren't they? Yeah, it was a total calm down. Um, you know, not aided by the fact that the booze had long worn off after... Um, 120 minutes, you know, get into the ground, get into the stadium an hour before kickoff, you know, give or take. Then the um, 
the 120 minutes, then the penalties and the, the emotions of the whole game. I was sober as a judge by the time it actually finished. And I remember having one beer afterwards and being like, I can't even... I, I, I was just drained, just completely emotionally, physically drained after the game. I just wanted to sleep. It was it was truly bizarre. Good job I was living in Glasgow and could just nip home. God knows you guys having to go back up the road. That would have been the weirdest journey ever, I imagine. You you were lucky enough to have had a beer. I couldn't drink that day because I did a knee operation five days before and was on crutches. And... All credit to you for going then. Good oh, well... I was sitting with about 10 or 12 mates who'd gone down on the bus and there was two of them who were absolutely massively oiled. My main concern was making sure I was well away from them as possible in case any goals went in, <laughs> which was a very good decision. But yeah, what I could have done with a beer after that game, Mikey. For those of us uh, that uh, did have to make their way back to Aberdeen, Martin, uh, two, two aspects to it. Firstly, it took forever. I had a slightly different route. I, I waited for the last train back to Glasgow and it was like the last chopper out of Saigon at Queen Street Station uh, that evening. But once we got back to Aberdeen, well, the, the players were out, the time was out. It was quite a night. It really was, yeah. I mean, I was desperate to get back to Aberdeen. The, the, the bus that we were on, um, I will argue with anybody. I think we I think we got the last bus that was left in the northeast of Scotland. The bus we had on was absolutely atrocious. It was like a fridge on wheels. Um, so I didn't have. I only had a couple of drinks on the way back up the road because John was only ten at the time. So I didn't want. You know, you're not going to get smashed in front of him, particularly with some of the idiots that were on our bus as well. Um, so yeah, when we got back into town, you no, know, he was very, he was very politely dropped off at Grandma's, um, <laughs> and then I was, and then it was basically taxi into town, and uh, yeah, town was town was great that night. It was absolutely mental, you know. Uh, everybody was out, um, and then you find that no, you find out I was. I actually went and met so met a couple of pals and found out that the, the, we were walking down the road and, and basically just all the players seemed to stream out of. Well, I don't know what it's called now. It was Charlie's, whatever that is on on um, Justice Mill Lane, um, and it was just seemed to be my, my lasting memory of that night is I think it was Nicky Lowe and Joe Shaughnessy are just bouncing on the edge of this police van, um, just leading leading the, the kind of sing song. Um, at whatever it was, half past one, two o'clock in the morning or something, um, and it was just the whole town just seemed to be completely jumping. And then, you know, in my in my drunken state, I came home and then rewatched the penalties about five or six times uh, just to make sure that it wasn't a dream. <laughs> if that uh, final of that game had, had kind of taken out the support and left them a little bit exhausted, it seemed to do similar to the team as a whole, really. Um, obviously, losing. Johnny Hayes for a few weeks as well as Peter Pollitt didn't help matters either but there was definitely a, a tail off in the league form stumbling to draws where we might previously have won games um, giving away daft cheap goals not getting the job done, essentially seeing um, what was a lead in second place to Motherwell uh, get eroded week on week and then the other half obviously of the potential cup double having disposed of Dumbarton in the quarter-final the week before Park Red. Uh, we were up against St Johnston again in the semi-final at uh, Ibrox this time. Uh, and it was a Sunday lunchtime kickoff, so the atmosphere was very, very different to what had gone before uh, Christie. But if anything, we started just as bright and probably had more control of that game than we did of the other semi-final. Yeah, we did. It was, it was the weirdest thing um, because... I thought we were terrific in that game. I really thought we played great. Like 
we missed some huge chances. Their goalkeeper had an unbelievable game. Our finishing just eluded us um, that day. It was, again, it was like I came out of the ground um, disappointed, of course, but I, I didn't feel let down. Like, I really felt like it was a total smash and grab, and that was that was like their their you know the one time in ten that they were actually going to win that um, because we on it on any other day given how we played um, and given how we took the game by the balls like we were just I just felt we were very unfortunate I thought it was a good performance I haven't watched it back I must admit it was too painful um, and it was it, it felt very avoidable as well. Um, I think Langfield didn't do so well for Stevie May's winner and, and the sitters that we missed, Vernon and McGinn, I seem to recall being particularly guilty. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like maybe the, the feel good um, vibe of, of having won the trophy kind of dulled the disappointment a little bit, but I just, I don't know, I just found it very hard to be annoyed um, at that performance. I thought we played well. Yeah, it's fair to say, Grant, the, the anger that would normally have. Uh arisen from a defeat like that just wasn't around uh, still in the afterglow of the League Cup victory but um, the game shifted in that second half and it really shifted not so much I think Stevie May but it was really uh, Michael O'Hallohan being up against uh, our fullback and torturing Andy Considine while Stevie May on the other side was up against Shea Logan and dominating him. Yeah, I think it was, it was Martin who mentioned earlier that very rare with the first semi-final the games against St Johnston are usually really, really tight. And I think it was just one of those games, as Christy said, that St Johnston, they came out well in the second half, a bit more aggressive. And yeah, OK, Halloran was a big thing, but I, th- I think it's easy to forget with what happened to Stevie May I'm pleased to see him doing quite well recently for St Johnston because the player he was then, before his injury, I think I was really sorry for what happened to him Aberdeen because he worked so hard, you could tell, but you could just see that that yard of pace has not recovered from his injury. I remember reading an interview with it with him that said his surgeon said his injury was like a car crash kind of impact on his knee, and just that little bit of sharpness and. And just that speed over the first couple of yards that he used to have, he never had when he came back here. And uh, it's, it's a shame for him. But yeah, I mean, obviously, we can say after a 2 1 defeat, we came out and said, yeah, okay, it was just one of those games. But obviously, that would have been completely different if we'd not beaten Cali in the, in the League Cup. Uh, so I think the relief of that, I think maybe there's just, maybe it was just, it was just one game too far that season, I think. But Martin, I think it's also right to say that as the time has gone on, we've realised what a tremendous opportunity that was to do something which, as I say, doesn't happen very often for any team, let alone Aberdeen. No, it doesn't. I mean, you're, you're not going to get a better opportunity to do a cup double. You know, in hindsight, will people look back on it and you know they can be a bit be a bit critical, which is you no, know, I suppose is understandable. You know, in the other in the other semi final. Uh, which I think was the day before Dundee United put out Rangers is is a re- is a really big result. So you, you're you know, that the, the St Johnston went on and won the turn won the won the cup, um, and you know we've spoken so many times on here about how desperately we want the Scottish Cup. You know, 
Um, and you know, St Johnston beating us, it just seemed to be that their name was on it. I mean, I'd I'd like to think that had we gotten through that, you know, we would have we would have beaten Dundee United as well. Um, I don't think there's any any I don't think there's any question about that. Well, that was a really really big opportunity, um, and it was yeah, it's it's hugely disappointing that we went out. Um, I don't think we were no, I don't think we were terrible on the day against St Johnston. I think we you know. It was just that though they had a couple a couple of players that day who really played out their skin. I know Stevie May at that point was was really really a really good player in the Scottish Premier League and like desperately desperately sad from for what happened with his injuries, um, particularly that it didn't work out from his time up here. You, you can't help but look back and say that you know, the chance to do a cup double was was with was it was at our fingertips, um, and with just you know just that one one poor poor kind of. 15-20 minute spell in the in the game at Ibrox and you know we find ourselves we find ourselves two one two one down and you know it just it, it's gone um, it's so it is you can't not look back and say it's disappointing because we we absolutely had done United's number that season um, we haven't even spoken about yeah. a, a very memorable uh, and enjoyable two one win on New Year's Day there um, thanks to um, Peter Pollitt's late winner and uh, Russell Anderson's grapple skills on the Dun United goalkeeper. Um, and then on the penultimate uh, league game of the season, a 3-1 win at Tannadice. Memorable, Christy, for two things. Uh, Scott Vernon Hattrick, his second of the season, and uh, John Seater providing one of many comedy moments throughout his career. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think at that stage it was clear that Vernon was on his way. So it was pretty much a swan song for him. Uh, so to, to score the hat-trick, actually, as I say that, maybe I'm wrong, maybe... maybe there is a, a feeling of, um, hey, McInnes, this is what I'm capable of. I can't quite remember. I seem to recall it being um, being sort of a done deal that, that he was leaving us uh, because Rooney was firmly established as the main man up front and, and we were only going to play one up top. Uh, so absolutely brilliant. Seeing Dundee United um, defending comically is always magnificent, but we had plenty of opportunities to, to witness um, such behaviour over the next few seasons because they just got worse and worse. Absolutely brilliant. But at that stage, going to Tanadice and winning three-one was still considered, you know, a big result. Tanadice was somewhere that was tough to go. It became easier and easier. Um, but yeah, we we um, we did it again. You know, just a tough game away from home when the crowd's there, um, and we needed to win to to keep up our our battle for second place. And we won. Fantastic. Yeah, you're, you're right, Chris. I was just I was reading an interview with Vernon a couple of months ago because I've seen his name pop up playing for Cleethorpe's Town. He's still banging them in. Good lad. And he said he, he he pretty much he knew he was on his way when Rooney came in. And I was so pleased that that's how it ended for him because, I've, as Martin said earlier, he's one of those players that really has a lot of goodwill from the fans because he was a good player. He knew he gave everything. And I was a horrendous time under Craig Brown when Brown was playing in centre midfield and he just confidence just absolutely hit the floor. If ever a player was completely out of position and to see him end his career when you, when you kind of know he's going, he's been a good servant, it's natural evolution of the team it's time to move on and hat-trick at Dundee United ah, not a better finish than that So to the last day and uh, yeah, this uh, battle for second with Motherwell came down to the last day game against that team at home uh, good crowd in the place to see us hopefully do that to clinch it. We only needed a point. Seventeen thousand, um, sixteen thousand of which were Reds that day. Uh, great effort, but didn't quite go to script. Another 
pretty terrible game. Um, 0-0 into the final minute. Motherwell having pretty much decided that they were going to shut up shop for 75 minutes. As we've already alluded to, that team that year was not brilliant at um, opening up sides who decided to do that. Going into stoppage time, so they hadn't caused us any problems, Martin. And then, well, um, they're a winner. Take it away. Yeah, where, where do you start? Um, you know, they get the, they get a foul. Um, you know, what was miles inside their own half? Um, you know, the referee that day, um, God knows, God knows what that referee's doing. He allows them to roll the ball forward. I mean, I mean, I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but he rolled it forward probably at least at least eight or nine yards. So he then takes the free kick inside inside our half, um, and you know, and and they they did there what they'd really done for the whole game is they kind of they you know, you know, Aberdeen teams have just going forward from this Aberdeen teams got kind of got used to this where teams would just kind of try and play for fouls, try and stop the game, try and stop us creating stuff, and that's what Motherwell did that day because they really didn't they really didn't come to come to try and play football, and that's not that's that's our problem, that's not their problem. Um, and you just get this, you know, this big, huge kind of like you no know, punt into the box, um, where you no know, we really should be. You no, know, I think we really should be dealing with that one. Did that one as well. Um, but then, you know, you, you Longfield kind of comes out for it, doesn't really deal with it. John Sutton, which with with if we're being honest, John Sutton with an absolute you no know, cast iron, one hundred percent foul on the keeper. Um, you know, which you know, how again referee manages to miss that as well. So that's that's two, that's three things the referees managed to miss. Um, and then of course, the the goal, some the, the ball somehow ends up bundled over the line um, in the ninety third minute, and we find ourselves, you know, a goal down, no time to kind of recover anything, down to third in the league, um, and from what had been you know a fairly pleasing season. Is just seemed to be in the very final minute is just kind of ripped away from you and two particularly terrible refereeing decisions, um, d- definitely certainly, um, and it just it, it it falls apart there. Such a frustrating, such a disappointing, such a heartbreaking moment to see that happen. Where you know, we pr- we you know, we praise we praise the team so much, and then to have something like that happen to you, which is I don't, it's not not our players' fault. It's absolutely you no know, some shocking refereeing. Um, and we find ourselves in third, and the the whistle goes almost immediately after the restart. I un- I unfortunately have to be a, a little bit of a devil's advocate again here, and if we go back to the Fir Park game on January, Rooney's debut, uh, Russell Anderson with an extremely suspiciously looking handled <laughs> stoppage time equaliser to make it two two. Uh, it's, it's one of those, and also over a thirty eight game season. You can't be relying on the 91st minute of the last game to seal your position in the league. You've, you finish where you deserve to finish. Well, I, ironically as well, if we hadn't, if we'd finished second, we wouldn't have had Riga, Groningen, Sociedad. Okay, we might have had another, another route, but all things all kind of work out in the end. That's kind of true, but one thing that really frustrated me in that game, and again, it's another game that I never watched back, but, um, Peter Pollock, had a okay. It wasn't a goal disallowed, but um, he he broke the line. He broke the defensive line, got through, rounded the goalkeeper, 
And then, so he was just about to put it in the net and it got pulled back for an offside that was nowhere near offside. Um, so that would have put us 1-0 up in a game we only needed to draw. So it would have been, so the thing that particularly frustrated me was two outrageously bad um, decisions from the officials. One, you can normally, um, you can normally swerve it in, in a game if you're a good side, you know, if, if you get one particularly horrible penalty call or what have you, um, you know, you've got 89 other minutes, but two of them against a, a good side, against your closest rival at the time, uh, it was just too much to overcome. Very frustrating. Um, I was, I was way more annoyed coming out of that game than I was in the semi-final against St Johnston, the 2-1 the defeat, because of the sheer injustice of it. Um, I, you're quite right, Grant, to say that it shouldn't have come down to that. But, but it did come down to that, you know, and, and when we're there on 93 minutes at home um, and, and that chain of events transpires, like I felt we had every right to be absolutely outraged. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I feel the... Fairly sour note to end that uh, that season, which had provided a lot of highs. But that said, I mean, maybe the novelty has worn off with the fact that we were able to successively finish second for a number of years. And maybe I'm looking at at this, but from the perspective of now. But uh, um, was it was it really that big a deal to finish second? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was at the time um, because. Well, certainly for me, I, like, I can't speak for anyone else, but I felt it would have been vindication for the progress that I think we all thought we had made. Like, um, winning that cup, finishing second, making the semis in the other cup, you know, beating Celtic uh, twice, that would have really... Um, that, that would have been, like, a um, indisputably fantastic season by our standards. And then the way that we, we sort of... You know, we, we didn't get over the line against the Johnson the Cup. The way that we couldn't hold against Motherwell at the end, it just left a couple of like sarin notes. It left a couple of unanswered questions as to our character and our spirit, um, or questions that that we thought we had already answered with the cup win and, and the big performances until then. So for me, finishing second was huge. And I know it's it's not a trophy. Like second isn't. Um, success in the traditional meaning of the word but it is success in in terms of um you know what's available to us like second place for Aberdeen is um is you know a relatively big deal and so um in the same way that that I was annoyed to finish fourth behind Kilmarnock last season uh, similar kind of thing um but yeah I mean the the um Kilmarnock one Less so because they, I felt they really earned it. The Motherwell one, I felt that we were kind of robbed, to be honest. So, yeah, um, I'm still salty about it, you can probably tell. I, th- I think from the next season, league position was more important. But for me at that time, it was just getting back in Europe. I wasn't really fussed about how we did it. Just just getting to Europe was, was the main thing for me. Yeah, and as you rightly point out, Grant, we, if we'd won or avoided defeat in that game, we'd have been straight into the second round of Europe. Maybe we wouldn't have faced Glenagan. Um, anyway, but we would have been going cold into that game and probably had less chance of getting through. I think the the games against Riga were helpful for us. Mudwell played some Icelandic mob in the second round and went out in a humiliating defeat. So um, he who lasts last and all that, uh, I guess. A, a slightly sour way to end the season, but I think with the way that 
those games, those performances towards the end of the year had been there was there were some very tired displays and whilst the team hadn't completely switched off, you can just tell in fact by the by the bench on that last game. The bench that last day was Nicky Weaver, Craig Murray, a young right back, um, McManus, Declan McManus, remember him. Cammy Smith, Calvin Zola, who I don't think had seen much first-team action for about four or five months. Michael Rose, young centre-half, um, who was basically going to be the next in line ahead of Scott McKenna. And the aforementioned Alan Tate. So I think it's fair to say we didn't really have the, the strength and depth in that squad to deal with missing a couple of key players as we were towards the end of that season. However, a, a very memorable season nonetheless when, after 19 years, etc., etc., the Dons finally lifted a trophy, the first I'm sure that many supporters would have seen, and there were 43,000 Aberdeen fans there to witness it. So, my thanks tonight for having a very lengthy and long look back to season 2013-14 to Christy Keenan. Christy, thank you. My pleasure. Anytime, gents. Always fun. To Grant Fiskin for showing his face again. Hello, Grant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, I've not shown my face. <laughs> and uh, to a man whose uh, face is always here, it's uh, Martin Cleanus. Thank you, Richard. We'll be back next week with another look back to a classic season. Uh, until then, stay safe, everybody, and uh, come on, you Reds. <laughs>